Hello and welcome to You Haven't Seen What? The show previously known as One for Paul. The show where I, the original non-pop culturist, get inducted into the world of pop culture with friends, comedians, and nemeses. Joining me today is my nemesis. Oh no, I got demoted. You did. Hi. You know what you did. My name is Joanna. Hi, Joanna. I know what I did. You know what you did. I do. I do. You had me watch The Lady of the Hawk. I know. And you know what? I am your nemesis because I'm not really sorry. Yeah, that's why. That's the reason. Uh, You had me watch another movie. I did. By the way, I did not do it as a way to get back into your good graces, but I might have managed it nonetheless. So let's see. That's right. Welcome to Keenan and Kells, the misadventures of a mischievous teen and his orange soda loving friend who must go back in time and write a ninth century manuscript. Nice. That was very close, but so far from the plot, very, very well placed. Who loves manuscripts? (laughs) <laughs> Kells loves manuscripts. Um, it's yeah. not the last time I'm going to make that joke. I'm not sorry. Yeah. Oof. You know what? You might become an emesis in my book after this. Welcome to The Secret of Kells, the 2009 Oscar-nominated animated feature. It only lost to Pixar's Up, which was excellent, but cheating, because that first scene is cheating. I maintain. I agree. Also, you cannot possibly compete. There's no competition between the two. It said Pixar on it. Exactly. Oscar likes Pixar. It's not just that. Look at the budgets. (laughs) Oscar likes Pixar. Uh, I'd never heard about this film. I've never seen a poster of this film. I've never heard anyone talk about this film. What kind of place does it hold in pop culture? Um, it had quite a buzz when it first came out, although I'm not the best judge of this because I was already sort of introduced to the indie animation world when in 2009, when it was, when it first came out in the cinema. Um, and it was very important for European animation because, uh, it was produced in Ireland, um, by budget from various European countries. Um, so it was quite big in Europe just because it managed to make it to the Oscars with, you know, no budget. This is a Eurovision song, um, figuratively. Really, it's really not because... It wasn't big in the US. Um, was it big in the US? Actually, because it couldn't get distributed in Europe because they had no money for distribution. Oh, no. But in order, but in order to get uh, an Oscar nomination and then possibly manage to get distributed eventually, it had to be screened in the US. Um, so if you, read up, if you read up about it online, they will say, oh, it actually did better in the US than it did in Ireland. That's just because it was actually released in the U.S. Yeah, they had it to was, release it in L.A. Yeah, for the they, rules it the was in, in it was in some cinemas in the U.S. Mm. Um, so yeah, it feels it feels it feels weird to call this a cult classic though, or something similar, because it was nominated for an Oscar. I mean, it was nominated for an Oscar, and I think some other yeah, I think Song of the Sea, which is from the same studio, which is a Cartoon Saloon. Uh, made in, I don't remember which week, I don't remember which uh, year. Before or after? After, after. after. So A Secret of Kells was their first production. Um, and then they made uh, Song of the Sea, they made Breadwinner, and they've recently made Wolfwalkers, um, all very good films. Um, so it was their, their big feature animated, uh, just what they started out with. 
So uh, the opening credits does include a participation credit for Tax Sheltering Invest of Tax Shelter Productions Productions. <laughs> did you notice that? Yeah, I did. I mean, it's a little on the nose, Yeah, that company name. I know, I know. Somebody was either taking the piss. Probably. Or it is actually what it says. Keep in mind, this uh, was... This was this was in production from 1999. That is a long production schedule. That's what happens when you're in the, when you're making indie films. You start out, mm. you don't have any money. You make some concept art. You join your mates to go on a festival in Berlin, and you meet some people, and they say, you know what, we might be able to find some budget for this. And, and you... three years pass, and you get a job, <laughs> and you go, nah, but I need to finish that like proof of concept you, animation you've been making commercials for three years and then suddenly you know some budget comes in and you start making stuff and then whoop you're getting like a real production money and you you're you're actually making the film now and then four years later it's done <laughs> so uh unless there's stuff to talk about at the front we can fade in Yes, sure. To a collection of floating squiggles inside a kind of star symbol thing, and then a forest face whispering to us about nature and stuff, and about how evil Vikings are invading Ireland, and the search for gold, and we're treated to a montage of reused assets from later on in the film. Actually, I really like the introduction. I do. I like it. Did that sound like I didn't? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm smarmy about it, but it is fun. And on second viewing, I was like, oh, I recognize that. I like that. Yeah, I really like the introduction. It's um, This studio makes films for young uh, people. I didn't understand what she was saying at first, though, because the whispering, when I say it's whispering, it really is like, and then I went to that store. And I was really? I had trouble hearing it. Okay. Okay. I had trouble. I had to listen twice. Okay. Fair enough. But anyway, yeah, they're they're making films for young audiences, so it's it's sort which of good. Yeah, yeah, which is um, and the introduction felt very much like Once Upon a Time, blah 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 blah. Yeah. So, but I mean, again, I I never used to watch films more than once before I started doing the show, and uh, now I get to see cool details like, oh, that's how they did the opening. Neat. Isn't that nice? I like that. I yeah. need to start doing that in like when I do casual watches of stuff. Yeah, second viewing, second viewings, especially of good films, mm. can be a very different experience. So actual open to a fortified city with a tall tower in the center with a ring wall in its perimeter and a circular clearing between the wall and the forest around it seen from above. So you get a cool circular motif that's repeated a bunch through the film. That's very accurate, by the way. Mm. Inside, a boy and several adults are chasing geese, or a goose, through the town as we're treated to the first proper taste of the visual style of the world. It's, it's very watercolor. Uh, that film is about 95% hand-drawn. No kidding. Yeah. Are, like, like traditional animation yeah, hand-drawn yeah, yeah. on cells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you do watercolor on a cell? Um, it's not on a cell. The backgrounds are, the backgrounds are drawn on other forms of paper. You don't actually have to use the cells anymore because you might, you are able to do hand-drawn animation, but the editing process can be done without the paper. No way. Mm -hmm. Oh, neat. Yeah. Uh, this is where we should say Joanna is a professional animator working in the industry. Yeah, hi. So uh, this is a, a lot of expertise I'll be leaning on you for when I have questions. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I just, I just, I just realized I need to point this out. This film is hand-drawn, and that hadn't been done since, I don't know, the golden age, probably. I mean, if they started in 1999, then a year before. <laughs> 
Brother Bear. Brother Bear. Has a lot of digital done. Yeah, this does have some well-placed digital yeah, stuff, yeah, I'd say. Yeah. Like, they used it well. Yeah, they did. And where it was just impractical to use a hand-drawn style, like yeah. the butterflies. Yeah, we'll, like, we'll talk about the butterflies. Yeah, like I said, 95%. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of watercolor and detailed internal textures and super defined, lovely uh, line work. It's it's kind of, it's a unique style, but it reminds me a bit of Gendy Tarkovsky. Uh, like uh, Samurai Jack, but less angular than Samurai Jack. They had a lot of inspirations from various, various films. Uh, originally, I think the the work that inspired this was the film that Richard Williams tried to make but never did. Um, they had a lot of inspiration from uh, various various films, uh, the biggest of which I think was uh, Richard Williams's The Thief and the Cobbler. Mm. It's sort of a camera in the animation world, that film. Um, but they also had a lot of influence from Studio Ghibli and, yeah, in terms of visuals and in terms of storytelling. Maybe it's something about the exaggerated scale sometimes, too. That feels a little Ghibli. Yeah, so that was... They they keep that style for for all of their films. Basically, they're trying to do what animation teaches us to do in terms of character character arts, which is express the character through visuals. Mm. You basically want to the audience to be able to look at your character and to have an idea of who they are, um, and that can be done. And you need the clean art to be able to animate without spending too much time on the details. And like I said, indie film, not too much budget. Which is um, why no, they didn't put any of the crazy Celtic knot work on the character models themselves. Yes, exactly, exactly. Because it would just take too long. Yeah, yeah. So the young man, Brendan, we learn, climbs the scaffolding around, uh, they're building the wall, and he is warned that it isn't steady and he should get off. Oh, hi, Chekhov. What, what are you doing with that gun there, Chekhov? You going to use that later? All right. Oh, you could almost say that they're on a wild goose chase. At you the could beginning. almost say that. Oh. You didn't get that? Oh, no. They're on a wild goose chase, aren't they? <laughs> uh, despite saying, ah, oh, it's fine, I got it. He falls through the scaffolding, uh, is paralyzed from the neck down. Roll credits. We're done. <laughs> Movie's over. No, he actually Aladdins his way down. He, he does. H- he hits all of the stuff that somehow doesn't injure him. Brendan finds an opening in the wall through which he can see the forest beyond. The forbidden area outside the walls. And he stares out there before he gets called back. Turns out he's fine. He's not paralyzed from the neck down, unless these hurlers have anything to say about it. As they continue to chase the goose through uh, what appears to be an active hurling match. True. For those not aware, search Irish hurling on YouTube and watch the madness. (laughs) Yeah. This is what these folks do for fun. Don't fight Irish people. They do this for fun. I do like how it introduces a lot of things with that wild goose chase um, in terms of characters, in terms of the people that you're going to meet, in terms of the area as well, because you can see, you know, the traditional houses, you can see the traditional castle, all made in sort of great detail in terms of accuracy, actually, uh, to how they are in real life. Um, And yeah, you get to see the personality of, Exaggerated oh, proportions, I will say, because the tower is yeah, 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 needle yeah. thin. Oh, definitely, definitely And the abbot takes up most of the width of that of that diameter. I think it's because uh, they they were made 
in that with that idea in mind. Oh, for sure. Obviously, they were never they never achieved it in reality. But yeah, that was the concept of making towers in the time. Yeah. Speaking of the abbot, there's an abbot here. Enter him as Brendan turns his hand down this feather that they pulled out of the out of the goose. That's what they pulled out. They're writing a sacred text of some kind. We learn this from the other scribes who helpfully just show up to tell us exposition sometimes. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of people, this will be, and I, I hope it's true for outside of Ireland as well, that they're talking about the Book of Kells, um, which is sort of one of the most important Christian manuscripts, um, and it was made in Ireland, and it still is in Ireland. Uh, survives through a lot of stuff, but it's still there. It's at Trinity College. Um, and... The, it is exposition, but it also isn't because they never, and I like this about this film, they never specify the religion and they don't really put a name on the enemies as well. Outside, you know, you have the general Vikings, but when you see them, they don't look like Vikings. So they are trying to keep this open to interpretation so people can can empathize without without being desensitized by the actual religion. Even though, like I said, it's a very famous and important piece of Christianity, what they're talking about. So that is the book where I will find the recipe to the good burger. Yeah, for the good sure. Burger. For sure. For sure. Definitely. Speaking of history and like art and design in this film, I have to point out what now looks so dated when I, when I reviewed it to make this podcast. Is it, is it the side characters? <laughs> There's a couple of the side characters who I sort of had to look at twice and went, oh, no, oh, yeah. no, oh, no, don't make the black man's lips like that. Yeah, I, it makes me really sad because it's gorgeously done, the film otherwise. And fun fact. Um, make the same character without those lips. Yeah. And he's fine. Yeah. And even uh, the voice is fine. He just sounds like an African man. Yeah, he does. He does. And as a character, he's very interesting. He has. I like him. I like has, him a lot. He has personality. So I'm like, why? <laughs> just. But also, is one of them supposed to be Chinese? I was trying to figure out what stereotype. I'm that was, not sure. But I'm, it's one of them, and it made I'm, me very uncomfortable. I'm really not sure because he was never given a name or an accent. So or a voice. So maybe not. Or lines. <laughs> or and yeah. Um, it's probably for the best. I don't know what they would have done if that guy had yeah, lines. So he, he, yeah, but in terms of the African man, so fun fact, they were actually um, preachers from North Africa uh, in Ireland. Oh, no way. Yeah, in the 9th and 10th century, and they went to talk about Christianity, and we have their books, their little Bibles that they were carrying with them all the way from Ethiopia and, you know, um, and various other places that they came from. And I love that they gave um they gave a voice to that part of irish history enter the abbot as brendan runs his hand down the uh, the feather in a sort of meditative motion we've all done it feathers are cool to touch <laughs> uh, the abbot is tall and imposing and single-mindedly concerned about building the wall also the man is jacked <clears throat> He goes to the top of the wall and on a single pulley just hauls what looks like a stone that's twice his size up. He does. Man that, is shows the, that shows determination. Like he will build that wall. And he'll do it without proper tools. He will. He's just, it's his last mission. 
Uh, he's also Brendan's uncle and very concerned about the impending invasion of the Northmen. And Brendan, his devoted nephew, agrees wholeheartedly it's important that the wall be built and, you know, his uncle's trying to keep everybody safe, which he is. He has every good intention. He does, he does. Inside the scriptorum, which is my favorite word, <laughs> we learn of the main conflict within the town. The abbot wants to build the wall and considers the scriptorum a distraction from defending the town. Whereas the scribes think the wall is kind of ridiculous, it's not going to keep him out anyway, so may as well work on the important work of making this book. Except they don't feel that they're good enough to be making the book, not like the true masters. No, they're going to wait for a true master to finish that last page or something. You know, like, uh, what's his face? The, uh, you know, that guy from Iona, who definitely won't show up in exactly one scene. To be fair, they were trying to add, um, to be historically accurate, um, because the Book of Kells is widely accepted that it was originally written in the island of Iona, which is in Scotland, and then finished uh, in Kells. And by accurate, we mean that they tell stories about the man having three eyes and an extra yeah. arm with 12 <laughs> fingers each, which is the only way that anybody can write good and didn't, draw good. Didn't you love those sequences, by the way? They were fun. They were so much fun. Um, I, I like that about the, about this film. And that, realistic. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think there's a positive correlation between number of fingers and ability to draw good. I love how he was, when they changed the idea, the arm just sort of started to sort of disintegrate and fall off because they changed their minds. And the eye just sort of flies off and on of him and he sort of catches it and slams it back onto his forehead a couple of times. Yeah, but which reminds me, did you notice the the minor stories happening in the background sometimes? Oh, yeah. I was going to say I noticed a uh, on second viewing a, a kind of a starry kind of symbol, you know, from the opening scene overlaid on this flashback of Iona. It's inside the crescent moon and also the sun in this case. Yeah, I, w I was thinking more about, for example, when one of the scribes fell and did a wide gesture with his arm and hit somebody's ink behind him and ruined his his page. And it was completely irrelevant to what was happening. But you would see the guy behind him sort of look at his ruined work and be very disgruntled oh, yeah. about it, even though he was not part of the story. Just, like just be a, like, hey, dude. Yeah, what, what are hell? you like? What are you doing? Stop it. I worked for three days on that. Now I have to do it again. I loved it. Such an ass. I'm going to the union about that. <laughs> uh, or possibly all of this was a dream sequence because we see Brendan wake up in the scriptorum and they describe Sarah's look at him and say, hey, weren't you supposed to run an errand for your uncle? And he goes, oh, no. And he grabs the things and runs to get his uncle. Uh, cut to his uncle's study where at the top of the tower uh, and there's... The walls and the floor have lots of cool illustrations on them and plans for the wall. It's here we should point out that the abbot isn't wrong. Strictly, he's looking at like a primarily infantry force. You build a wall, you keep him out. That's a good way to do it. I mean, theoretically, he's not wrong. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate the, his, his way of thinking because on the one hand, he wants to protect people, but he's also sort of figuring out ways to to make the heathens, let's say, convert to Christianity. Oh, I got a note on that, trust me. <laughs> sort of, come to us and we'll have a world to protect you. By the way, ha have you heard about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? 
Hi, we'll say <laughs> we'll save you on the okay, on the only condition that you save yourself. <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> Praise Jesus. No, but, you know, joking aside, he does have good intentions, but um, as we all know, the Vikings had a very singular, actually not singular, they were very good at conquering. Hey, the Vikings did what they did, man. They, they were did. good at they, it. They were very good. So I get the scribes going, yeah, that's the world's not really going to help us out. We might as well make the book, though. Uh, Brandon's imagination gets to going again, and he imagines the Vikings as some kind of supernatural shadow demon men burning everything as they pass. Meanwhile, the abbot is instructing him in how the walls are to be constructed, and Brendan is distracted by a newcomer at the gates. Surely this couldn't have been signposted like 30 seconds ago. <laughs> also, the newcomer's cat has an X for a mouth. He it, does, it's yeah. got an X for a mouth. I, I don't know why this bothers me so much. It does? It, it got an X for a mouth. It was cute. It was cute. I'm not disputing that it was cute. I thought it was like the nose and the mouth underneath. That's I guess maybe. That's how I interpreted it X-wise. Sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is Brother Aiden of Iona. You know, the guy we were just talking about. He's here now. And everybody's like, oh my God, this guy's a rock star. I mean, a manuscript star. A right star. Which reminds me, fun fact, uh, the manuscript uh, star, he calls his cat Pangorban. Mm. Uh, so Pangorban, and because there are sort of fun facts like this peppered all over this uh, film, uh, it was an Irish poem written in the 9th century by a monk as a tribute to his cat. Oh, and that's fun. Isn't that adorable? Like that monk was sitting in his... Abby looking at his cat and thinking, I love you so much, I'm going to write a poem for you. As the newcomer is whisked away by the abbot, uh, he asks Brendan, hey, can you feed my cat, please? And uh, the cat promptly runs away into the cracks of the tower, followed by Brendan, who's like, nah, come on, i got to feed you, though. And finds himself eavesdropping on a conversation. Isn't that what happens with cats, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, it is. That was very real. It felt real. Like, I, I went looking for a cat after that. I don't own a cat. <laughs> uh, the abbot does not like pagans or crom worshippers. His exact line is, It is with the strength of our walls that they will come to trust the strength of our faith. Praise Jesus. <laughs> we're we're going to make ourselves militarily powerful, and then they'll, they'll have to trust us. That's how this works. All right. Like I, again, I like the the central conflict is between people who share the same aims but have different ideas about priorities, right? Because they all want to protect the people and spread the faith. Okay, let's get on board with that. Um, the, I guess the the abbot wants to build up the walls both literally and figuratively, though. Like he's a bit of an isolationist, and Aiden wants to finish writing the book, and I guess he's presented as more relaxed and outward looking. Uh, it, this is also where I come with a bit of cultural baggage that I'm not certain is appropriate when applied to 9th century Ireland, because I'm Canadian, so when I hear things like, well, those non-Christians need to be converted for their own good, uh, oh no, oh no, this guy's being set up as the good peoples. Yeah, no, that's, that's not really, that is exactly what's, how you described it, because these, these are all, they're all Irish. Um, so they have, they are of the same community. Um, they have a different idea on how to protect themselves and how to live basically. 
Um, and they are all thinking about the community, but in different ways. Um, so the abbot has a more sort of practical reasoning to it. Like we have these villagers um, and the Vikings will inevitably invade um, and we need to be able to protect them. And if they trust in us, they will trust in our words because they will say, oh, they will protect us with their walls and they might protect us with their faith as well. They'll be a literal captive audience no. because we're not going to let them leave. <laughs> oh, God. The walls, <laughs> right? You can't leave the walls. Um, but, um, yeah, and then you have, you know, the other hand, which is like, but stories and art and, you know, the beauty of life. So now it's nighttime and, uh, Brandon sneaks into the scriptorum to see the book of Iona as Aiden walks in and finds him and goes, nah, man, it's cool. Don't worry about it. You can totally look at the book. I don't know why he was forbidden from seeing the book, but he was like, oh no, I didn't mean to look at the book. I'm sorry. I didn't want... No, totally look at the, the whole point of the book is that we're going to get people to look at it. Um, as a person who was brought up in a very religious sort of community, um, I will say this, that rang very true with me. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it did. Because you are told that, you know, God is mighty and God is great. But be careful because these, you know, some oh, things he's are, gonna smite you. Some things are not, are too sacred for you, you heathen. Yeah, he he gonna smite you. Yeah, so I that you don't want to be smitten. <laughs> I love that sort of interaction because you have the the child who has been brought up to to think of some things in a certain way, and here comes somebody who changes his so whole view view system. Yeah, so fortunately, Aiden's cool, and he shows Brandon the book, and Brandon originally is going like, "Man, this cover's so cool," and we get a, a lovely foreshadowing line: "Ah, the cover's not the real treasure." what's inside the counts and i go "Ooh, i remember that from later okay so uh brendan wants to work on the book and aiden sends his new apprentice off into the woods to find some berries from which to make green ink fun fact oak gall actually re really used to make ink yep but it's a black purple ink oh doesn't make green ink oh well. so in this universe i guess it makes green ink but because ireland um, it was used in Ireland. I just think it, the ink was it, used in Ireland. It was it used in Ireland. It green. It's just that you know they they kept they, they wanted to tell the story about this very real um you know history, but at the same time, it is a it is a, it is a fairy tale. Also, so, if yeah. later the explosions happen and it's a black smoke, I think yeah. that doesn't play well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I it think was, that uh, looks too evil. Yeah. Uh, Brendan is reluctant to go to the forest to get the things because it's dangerous and against the rules. And his uncle doesn't want him to do it because it's dangerous against the rules. And he doesn't want to do it because it's dangerous and against the rules. Hey, you know what's not against the rules? Breaking the rules. Probably. Let's go. <laughs> also, Aiden's cat joins him. The next morning in the woods, he gets startled and runs off in a random direction immediately. Uh, he finds himself in a perfectly circular clearing. I like this motif recurring. Also, a bunch of eyes look at him as he wanders into the darker parts of the forest and finds a stone circle where he is attacked by wolves in the mist. I'm always annoyed when a pack of wolves just randomly attacks a person. They don't do that. Wolves don't attack people unless they're real desperate. I mean, I would think they're real desperate because there's not much other life in that forest. <laughs> In That's terms not true. Of we see wildlife. a bunch of deer. 
Uh, yeah, we did see a bunch of deer, but they don't attack deer either. If we're gonna be real, if we're gonna, no, if we're gonna go, nah, wolves they, totally eat deer. Wolves eat prey animals, smaller yeah. prey animals like bunnies and rabbits and that kind of stuff. They'll take mostly. down stags in Canada, man. I don't know. Maybe the Irish uh, wolves are different. Probably, I think European wolves are smaller than Canadian wolves. Uh, maybe I guess I don't know the difference if there is one. Well, to be fair, Irish wolves have been extinct for hundreds of years, so it doesn't really matter anymore. To be fair. Oh, like right now, Irish wolves don't hunt very much. You're right. No. Uh, fortunately, he is saved by some kind of wild cat or something. Turns out it's not a wild cat or something. It's actually a white-haired fairy lady who accuses him of trying to take food from her forest. Well, she's very right. You don't you don't mess with the fairies. Don't mess with the fairies. Uh, once she hears that he's got no family, though, uh, she softens and is like, Oh, yeah, I also don't have a mom. That sucks. Here, come, we're, we're going to be friends now. Uh, and then she sees that he wants an inedible berry. What do you want that for? You can't eat that. My first question is like, wasn't it a problem that he wanted food earlier? Wasn't that the whole deal that you didn't want? Yeah, but they're bonding now. Yeah, they're bonding. So she goes, yeah, I mean, you, I can get you as many of those as you want, but like, why? Oh, yeah, it's for ink. Yeah, What's but, ink? Yeah, but she was also like, but then you will promise you will not come back into the forest. Because yeah, don't we're, come back. We're bonding, but we're not there yet. She is a cat, to be fair. Yeah, very, very cat-like. We're bonding, but nah. It's also very, I don't know, I probably it's because I was recently in Ireland and the, the stories that people told me are still fresh in my mind. And I will say, you will, fa- you will find a fairy tree in almost every farm. And people will be farming around the fairy tree because they don't want to anger the fairies. And I get it. I understand. I would not want to anger the fairies either. So you're sort, of, you're sort of, you exist with the fairies, but you're not really friends. Also, she doesn't know what ink is. And Brendan is sitting there try, desperately trying to be like, okay, so ink is what you use to put on pages. Uh, I should explain what pages are. They're sort of like leaves, but we put pictures on them. Pictures are what you make with ink on a, okay. Um, you kind of have to see it. I loved Sorry. it. Yeah. Uh, she directs him to a giant oak tree and says, oh, yeah, we're here. Just climb it. You can climb trees, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I can climb this uh, giant sheer cliff of a tree. Of course I can. Classic. You know, this definitely, this hubristic boasting will not come S- back to such bite a, me. Such a 10-year-old. Like, yeah, of course I can do it. I've climbed 10,000 trees. Well, I climbed a tree yesterday, so like probably sure. As they get to the top of a tree, we learn, oh, wait, he would not have known how to climb a tree. He's not allowed in the forest. Yeah, of course. He's never climbed a tree. He's climbed scaffolding. Yeah, that's why. I feel why, like that's, that's a little different. That's why I say such a, such a you know, uh, typical 10-year-old. I've done something similar. Where, no, 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 where you sort of, you don't want to, to be considered the odd one out. So if somebody says, have you done this before? Yeah, I've, I've, I've done this like 15,000 times. Some, some sort of weird, unrealistic number. Uh, they get, well, as we've established from a previous scene, this guy is real good at climbing. Doesn't fall ever. (laughs) Never. Which is why he doesn't fall here and she doesn't have to save him going, I thought you said you could climb trees. Yeah, of course I can. You know, smaller ones. She's impressed for sure. She's definitely not laughing straight in his face. As they get to the top of the tree, we learn that her name is Ashley and they collect some berries. Also, this is the part where there's a cool, like, butterfly scene where they climb up a Legend of Zelda screen thing, yeah. and there's just a horde of cool bugs back there. It was very cute. It was cute and quite pretty. Yeah. 
Ashley leads him towards a secret way to get home, but he instead decides he'd rather wander off towards whatever that ominous forest noise was. You know, curiosity, you know, kill the cat. Hey, don't go in there. That's an evil, dark place of suffering, which is home to Crumb Kruak, which which, uh, the abbot has assured Brendan does not exist. So Brendan's there like, "Eh, Crumb Kruak doesn't exist. Some pish posh nonsense. The the it's a mythical being, you know, like fairies. <laughs> I don't. We don't believe in those things. Exactly, they don't exist. It's fine. Uh, turns out the Crom Kruik is not imaginary, but in fact real, and can be defeated with a big rock. I don't think he was defeated. I think he was sort of cut off from his hunting time. Like, be gone, devil! And just. Close the gate thingy. Yeah, so that problem has now been solved forever. Surely no sort of contrived plot device will bring Brendan back here for some sort of denouement-related reason. No, never gonna happen. Uh, Back at Keenan and Kells, Ashley tells Brendan that, actually, you can come back to the forest if you want to. It's cool. And sneaking back in, he makes a beeline for the scriptorum, where the abbot is laying down the law and saying, yeah, nah, you're going to do things my way. Which, I don't know. I think he's, uh, he just likes stamping authority on stuff, and he sees the scriptorum as frivolous. Yeah. Because we we should be working on the wall. Why aren't you working on the wall? You're awake, aren't you? (laughs) You got arms. Lift stuff. I did like the the way he was introduced as a character. Mm-hmm. Just incredibly imposing. As tall as the tower. I guess he is, eh? Yeah. Uh, so he asks where Brendan has been. He answers honestly that he's been in the forest, but only for a little bit. And he tries to explain, well, here's why I believed it was okay to do this. The abbot is not interested in listening and instead stamps his authority down and walks away. This will become a theme with him. It will. Meanwhile, on the end of a rickety dock in the mist, a boatman with a bell is attacked by vikings. Bum, bum, bum. Kells later that night, Brendan manages to deliver the oak galls to Aiden, who proceeds to do some alchemy of some kind, turning the pigment into a giant explosion and everyone dies. Roll credits. No. Nah, it's just, it's fine. It's just smoke. He knew what he was doing. It was just a... Supposedly. Yeah. He seems surprised at first, but he goes, yeah, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> it made the ink, though. It's That's the main thing. So Aiden hands the young man a quill and says, like, yeah, get to it. He immediately spills a bunch of ink on the vellum and goes, oh, no, I've wrecked, like, a very expensive thing. And Aiden, again, being the cool sort of uncle figure, I guess, goes, yeah, no, it's cool, man. Just keep going. It's like- wrecked anyway. Whatever. It'll go. I like that so much in terms of how to how to deal with the creative process. Oh yeah, it was a very, very I messed up right away and wrecked my thing. Yeah, okay, so work with it. I don't know. I'm keep going. Yeah, that's just how it goes. Is it going to get wrecked more? Cool. Keep practicing. It's now a practice piece. It wasn't planning to be it, but whatever. It is now. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, in the burning Viking invasion hellscape. Turns out the Vikings are actually Viking shadow demon people with, like, they're not presented as human in any way, including they pitch correct their voices to be like... Yeah, I think that's, like I said, I think that was very sort of... um, I liked that, that they didn't go for a very specific type of people and just try to resonate with everybody. These are not presented as human beings. They're presented as a force of nature almost. I mean... They're orcs. Right? 
These are not Danish people who go home and enjoy sandwiches. I mean, to be fair to the people of those islands at the time, that's what the Vikings were. <laughs> I'm going to give this the standard 300 defense, which is we are looking at this very much from the perspective of the people telling the story. Yeah, exactly. And their perspective is this is what these monsters do to our people. Still, I, the movie was made in 2009. I still think maybe give a nod to like, these are real people, though. Like, I think because it's, a, like I said, it's targeted to young audiences. And they wanted to make a very clear um, calamity that's about to happen. And it doesn't really matter what form the calamity takes. As long as you understand that there is an impending bad thing that will happen and you have to prepare yourself for it because it's inescapable it's a horde of bees yeah it may as well be a horde of bees that will kill everyone with bees yeah basically yeah at the scriptorum uh, aiden confesses that he can't actually finish the book because he can't see so well and his hands don't work so uh you you finish the book uh, which Brendan goes, ah, ish, mm, um, all right, no, no. And then he has a dream about it and he goes, yeah, all right. Well, he had some doubts and he overcame them. He had to have to finish the story. He's uh, woken up, however, by the abbot excitedly telling him, we're moving the scaffolding to the West Wall. Come on and join me. This is going to be great. I think the, the first and only time I see the abbot excited about something, and it's like, oh, man, we're getting progress on the wall. This is wonderful. I found that very cute and hilarious. Just his excitement over it. They could have very easily made him like an evil stepfather sort of figure, they, and they didn't, and I like that better. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I, I get him. I don't like him necessarily, but I get him. Yeah, 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 for sure. He is, uh, he's a flawed uh, parental figure, like they all are. At the top of the wall, as uh, Brendan follows them, he finds a leaf parcel full of oak galls delivered by Ashley. Ah, oh, she's sweet. As we begin a training montage, where we see Brendan improve his skills as a scribe and climb some stairs and lift some weights and punch some meat and continues to spend time in the forest, punctuated at the end by Vikings cutting their way toward Kells, always a present threat. They, they did a training montage. And then he's like writing stuff. Of course he did. By the way, another influence for this film was Mulan. Oh, I could totally see that. See? This is the, this is the scene where they sing I'll Make a Man Out of You. Yep. Except in this case, it's actually a boy. And he doesn't become a man until later. He becomes a scribe. We're, we'll make a scribe out of you. Exactly. Is the song. Back to the scriptorum and Aiden is ready to give Brendan another eye which is actually a sort of crystal lens, which has lost and smashed up as he fled Iona. Oops. Fortunately, the crystal eye was one of Crum Kruak's eyes, and Brendan happens to know that most things have more than one of those. And also, you remember that uh, stone that they defeated the evil thing with earlier? That, would never, that we would never see again. Yeah, we're never going to see him again, except right now. Except he's intercepted by his uncle, who forbids him from going on this epic quest... Uh, be, be, or doing anything that Brendan loves or cares about. Finally, Brendan pushes back a little bit, and he says, no, I can't do that. I need to go. This is important. Uh, to which his uncle just grabs him and goes like, right, I'm locking you in your room forever now. Good luck getting out of there. I mean, he latched it. Surely no sort of supernatural assistance might help him. <laughs> I wonder where he'd even find some sort of fairy who can turn a cat into a ghost cat. Okay, do you want another fun fact? Yes. 
Okay. Ashling, the main character, it was the name was the name of a form of Irish poetry. I've been calling her Ashley. It's Ashling. Ashling. I mean, like I'm, a little Ash. I might be butchering the pronunciation as well. Sorry I keep to any Ashley. Sorry to any Irish listener. Uh, her, the name is Ashling. Oh, um, okay. It is an Irish name, and it, it was um, yeah, it was a form of Irish poetry, and it was supposed to be a woman who was bringing um, uh, inspiration to people to write poems. Oh, neat! And she's bringing inspiration to him to write his manuscript i guess he does and she sings to the cats later on we have to say not just yet oh sorry because spoilers thematically i think uh the abbot locking him in his room is like a smaller version of what he's doing with the walls he because walls do keep things out but it also locks people in it does. Uh, again, I feel like he's a very good um, representation of parental figures in people's lives. You know, the people who tell us, especially to younger children, what to do and what not to do and prevent them from doing the things they enjoy sometimes because they feel that it's to their best interest. Um, and we don't necessarily like them, but we also understand that they are they're not bad people. <laughs> No, he's not bad people. He's yeah, just, exactly, uh, exactly. He's overly concerned with his own sense of authority. Yeah, well, like many parental figures are. So, like I said, he is flawed, but like most parents are flawed. They're yeah. human beings. Yeah. Uh, the cat goes off into the forest, gets Ashley's help, and help she does as she arrives to Brendan's cell and frees him by now transforming the cat into a ghost cat with a magic song and stealing the key from the abbot's room, unlocking the door, unlatching the hatch to his room, getting him out, then relatching the door and replacing the key before the cat come back into a regular cat. Man, that was a long note. <laughs> uh, running into the forest, he tells Ashley that he intends to take Crom Kruik's eye, and she's like, no, okay, no, I would not have let you out had I known that. She's very concerned. For his safety. This was a learning point for her. Like, ask people's intentions first. Mm -hmm. Take them out of their sort of prison later. We also learned that Crom Kruik is the thing that killed her mother. So she's uh, concerned about losing more people she likes to Crom Kruik. Yeah. Back at the evil lair, Ashley opens the way with her super strength, which he has, I guess, and is consumed by inky tendrils and crushed. I mean, I guess she wasn't wrong. Not about really. the danger. Brendan falls into a dark room and then a gaping chasm full of the imagination symbols we've been seeing everywhere. So again, it's not clear whether this is real real or whether he's imagining a lot of it, but I dig the snake monster that is playing snake in I there. I know, I like this very much. The imagery is gorgeous. Reminds me a bit of uh, like thematically Beowulf uh, and yes. fighting Grendel's mother yes. underwater. That was, a v that was a big inspiration for this film as well. Yeah, I could totally see it. Yeah. Uh, Brendan is now the master of his own imagination and uses his imagination powers to defeat the monster with a piece of chalk. And he manages to just tear the monster's eye out of its face as he floats away and the monster just starts eating itself, becoming a kind of Ouroboros. The next morning, Brendan wakes to find the crystal in his hand and Ashley nowhere to be found except for a trail of flowers and a, and a set of spare clothes left for Brendan, who makes his way back to Kells. Oh. At the scriptorum, Aiden is, su is surprised to see that Brendan has the crystal. 
I love how chaotic his weird uncle is. Oh, yeah, you need this crystal. Wait, I have it. Oh, no, I don't have it. You need to find another one. I found it. Wait, what? Those exist? <laughs> uh, cue another montage, beginning with Brandon running his fingers down the, f- the feather quill again in his meditative way as he begins to work. He manages day after day to sneak out to the scriptorum with the help of the other scribes who are clearly super hype about this, uh, this cool stuff that he's able to do suddenly. Because I guess getting this crystal made him able to draw good. Yeah, he could see the details. I guess he could see the super small details with the... It's a lens, let's be clear. It's just yeah. a... It's a cool, like, ancient lens from before they were able to make lenses. Yeah. Also a nice detail, the abbot skips his breakfast at one point, sending it to Brendan instead. He's like, no, send it to Brendan. Like, make, see if he's changed his mind. Because, again, not a bad guy. He's like, I'm, you, I'm not hungry. You, you give my food to the kid. Yeah. He's still locking the guy in his room for disagreeing, which I think is a bit severe, but okay. Sometime later, a survivor of one of the Viking attacks arrives and gives news to the abbot. At the scriptorum, Aiden inspects Brendan's work and finds it to be of exquisite quality, as do the rest of the scribes. As they leave, the abbot arrives and tears the work from the vellum and yells that they have one day before the Vikings attack and the wall's not done and that's all your fault for writing your stupid book and he... he crumples up the vellum in his hand. He's very upset. Uh, In his wisdom, he decides to lock the door to the scriptorum, locking both uh, Aiden and Brendan inside as the rest of them escape to safety in another building. As the abbot looks at Brendan's work, though, he seems transfixed for a moment, perhaps offering a moment of reflection to himself before the Vikings attack the gates. Turned out, gates not actually pretty good. Not not great against fire. Yeah, nobody quite managed to keep the Vikings out for long, did they? Also, the Viking. I don't know if you noticed, it was like a very short thing, but the Vikings take positions along the top of the wall. Mm, I don't remember that one. It was a short, like, maybe 20 frames. Okay. It was a short, like, little one-second clip, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the Vikings took up positions on the top of the walls that were supposed to defend them, which I think is... Yeah, it was, very, it was very poignant. Extra poignant, because the yeah. poor guy's like, oh no, they're using my walls against me. Yeah. The thing that was supposed to keep them out is now keeping us penned in. So they break through, the abbot evacuates everyone to the tower, but the scaffolding is kind of rickety. You know, you gotta be careful on that scaffolding. You know. And the last person manages to squeeze into the tower, and, the, and then the stairs collapse, leaving half the people, including the abbot, in the open courtyard just open to arrow fire. Oh, hey, Chekhov, uh, is this this gun you left here (laughs) from earlier? Uh, Remembering that he'd locked Brendan inside the scriptorum, he goes, oh no, I screwed up big time. And he tries to run over there to let them out, but he's got an arrow stuck in his chest, so it's kind of hard. And he is cut down and stabbed in the back before he can get there. Inside the scriptorum, they make some ink to create a big green puff of smoke to... to cover their escape, which they do. The rest of the town are trapped inside the chapel and are, I guess, killed or routed as the Vikings complete their raid. It was a it was a cool scene, and um, I I feel like it was it's good that it, they paid out on what they, what they were setting up. In many ways, uh, most importantly, in the danger factor, which is something that you don't really see in films for 
you know, this sort of age group, mm. it's usually, yeah, there's bad stuff happening, but oh, look, it's it actually never happened. It, it was fine. It, we avoided the danger. It's okay. Godzilla went over that way instead. Yeah, they're not, they're not sort of, they're being very honest um, about, yeah, that life is hard sometimes mm. and bad things happen. Uh, later in the forest, as Brendan and Aiden are surviving and running away with the book, a Viking attacks them, saying, GOLD, in a sort of ogre voice, as the cat attacks him, making him drop the crystal, which Brendan retrieves, thankfully. You remember when we saw the book earlier and Aiden told us the cover isn't the real treasure? It yeah. is to the Vikings, because that's the gold part, so he tears all the pages out and throws them on the ground. And they're attacked by Ashley and her wolves. I really like the scene with the book. It's good. I really like the scene with the book. It's well made, too. It's visually nice. Yeah. This is one of those areas I think I saw some CG with all the pages, because yeah. that's going to be too difficult to do hand-drawn. Yeah, yeah. Good use of it, I think. Back at Kells, the survivors in the tower come out to find their town ruined, but the abbot is alive somehow, and he seems to regret some decisions he made. But nonetheless, takes up his position of authority, because his people need a leader, and that's him, even if he's injured. Another montage as Brendan and Aiden grow older in those one of these like three panel things yeah, that yeah. they traverse across. I thought this was super I, cool. I loved those panels. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to see this film. Because I feel a lot of the more mainstream mainstream animation animated films, they don't really use the freedom that animation as a medium provides. Mm. They are more they look like live action films but drawn. You know what I mean? It's they don't really have these sort of editing and direct you know directing liberties with their medium where it's not realistic but it makes sense for the story and it keeps track with the design and the style so it's yeah it's basically using animation as a as a medium in in the ways that it's supposed to be used not just as a camera viewpoint but as a different medium as an as a different art style than than just live action films should say also the squash and squish they got it, their squash and squish game is on point yeah, yeah which is one of the other big advantages of showing movement in animation yeah for sure so as he grows older and after the three panel thing they build a small scriptorium in the woods where they spend years finishing the book and ministering to a small group of people who huddle into the tiny little hut to view the book and read it, I guess. And finally, Aiden grows old and dies, entrusting the book to Brendan, who one day finds himself following a familiar white wolf who leads him back to the ruined Tower of Kells, where he finds his uncle, now visibly aged and, I think, uh, I think dying, probably. Even with the tiny scrap of parchment he had from the scriptorum, he seems to have understood finally the importance of the work they were doing and how futile his walls were. And like decades later, this looks like he's still going, oh man, I screwed up. Yeah, the poor man. Like that was his life after that, I guess. Fortunately, he gets to see the book before he dies as his nephew shows up and he's like, yeah, we didn't listen to you anyway. Don't worry about it. Here's the book. Check it out. I'm awesome. <laughs> and we're uh, treated to a lovely set of animated spinning images of the book, one of the pages of the book, as we fade to black, the end. Yay. That looked so cool. 
I know it's um, it is it is a gorgeous film, and if you like this one, you can uh, uh, in your own time outside of the podcast watch that are the rest because they have made some really cool films. I looked up the actual Book of Kells later. Mm-hmm. They took a lot of notes from the visual style of the Book of Kells. They did, and yeah. I love that. They did. Um, basically. Uh, what they were doing is they drew a lot of inspiration from, like I said, it's Studio Ghibli and uh, Richard Williams, the, the you know, the, the god of animation. Um, and but they wanted to bring it to their to their own culture and their own sort of story. And it was largely inspired by Irish traditions in its story, in, uh, Irish art, um, and yeah, the the Book of Kells in terms of illustration style. Also, fun fact, this style uh, in medieval art is called insular art, which I thought was a a cool little, uh, like his uncle wants insulation. He is uh, an insular character. He wants everything inward looking. Uh, Granted, the word just comes from the Latin for island, but I think thematically it's kind of a neat touch where they might have looked at insular art and thought, oh, what if they're one of the characters, though? I like that a lot. Uh, the the characters all had understandable motivations for the most part, and I liked that we understood what Brendan was after. We understood what Aiden wanted. Kinda, he wanted to finish the book. the The motivations were simple but clear and yeah. well communicated, and I liked that because I can't stand it in movies when somebody just does something, and I go, "What? what why would? Why would you do that?" Yeah, they had very clear purposes, and the sort of the messaging of the film was very clear as well. I like the idea of finish your stories. Oh, yeah. You you start something, you finish it. Um, yeah, Chekhov's gun. Yeah, yeah. I, I use that very specifically for a reason. If you're going to introduce a gun earlier on, use it for something. <laughs> Don't just let it sit there. Otherwise, the audience is going to go like, but wait, but there's, did you see that, though? I like the mix of Christian mythology with Irish mythology, which feels... I, it feels like what Ghibli does with Japanese folklore, exactly, but yeah. using Irish folklore instead. I yeah. totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like the pace of it. The pace occasionally reminded me of Ghibli because they'll just hold on a frame for a while, but not as long as Ghibli does. Yeah, they will. They will take their time to show you, um, you know, uh, beauty and to to let you experience the world. But it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't... It's still quick. It's by, still quick, yeah. It's by, st- by Miyazaki standards. By Miyazaki that guy standards, will yeah. sit there for a full minute looking at a field with like four frames of animation on it. Yeah, it's right? it is gorgeous. And when it's done well, my God, is it done well. Yeah. Here, the I think the longest shot was those three panel things where they'd traverse across. I think Western animation likes movement maybe too much. Like there, there's always very, something moving. We have very different... Uh, we had we I, f- I feel like the way European animation works is that we do love movement mm. and we love to make the art be the movement. The the way you we use it as a storytelling tool. The movement is the message. Exactly, which is not found anymore that much outside of indie cinema anyway. Mm. Uh, but it is a sad. It is sad because that's what animation is. You tell stories through movement. Uh, we can we can sit and, and appreciate uh, you know uh, a landscape for as long as we want. Mm. But animation as an art form is is um, you know a story in movement in motion, um, and that's what has um, what what uh, European animation has been forever. Mm. 
I did find the central conceit a little corny. Like, this is the history of this historically important book. Check out the book that we've got. It felt, especially in the ending, I could sort of feel like an elementary school teacher nudging <laughs> me in the ribs, almost like, ah, that's the story of how the Book of Kells found its way to Dublin, where it remains to this day. They didn't have to say that. I was like hearing it in my head going, oh, okay, fine. Kids I, movie. I get it. But yeah, still. Yeah. Um, I do appreciate it because I, you know, the Irish didn't have the ability to tell their own stories for such a long time, you know, 800 years of colonization. <laughs> so I, I get it if they want to celebrate their history. I'm not a bit telling more. people not to, to celebrate their history. No, no, no. I mean, the way that this particular thing was done yeah, felt a little corny. I do agree. But like I said, I, I sort of, um, I would have, I would have had the same arguments the only reason why I'm thinking, actually, I find it quite nice is exactly because, you know, we're talking about a country that couldn't tell these stories for a very long time. I guess in that context, I agree. Yeah, it, it still felt corny to watch, but I, I guess I understand why. Yeah. I, I, You know, I think I just don't like fantasy stories that end with real world stuff. Okay. I, I think if it's going to be fantasy, let it be fantasy. Like, we're talking about a world with demon Vikings and caves where the hero battles a sea serpent with chalk and um, the power of imagination. And he climbed a magic oak with the help of his forest fairy buddy. And we have to finish with, uh, hey, check out how this book Paul, was made. Hey, Paul, remember who you're talking to? <laughs> I love this stuff. Um, no, I mean, I'm Greek. <laughs> We are very superstitious folk. All of um, your myths are just like, and that's how this one politician uh, won an election once. It's like, we are also like a, a group of people who like to mix um, myth and history. Um, so I'm very used to mixing fantasy and reality. I'm glad that you like it. I so, don't. I, no, no, no. I understand where you're yeah. coming from. Um, but I also understand where the Irish are coming from because we are very similar people in that regard where okay. we do like to mix history with mythology. Remember um, that time that Zeus did literally anything at all times? Remember that time when we found Troy and people went, wait, so the oh, Odyssey God. actually happened? Oh, God. That time <laughs> where you found Troy. And then the guy blew up Troy, thinking that there was a Troy underneath Troy. God, I cannot get over that. For those who don't real, so the the guy who found it literally found like a bunch of layers of cities in the same place because it's Greece. You're going to layer cities on top, right? People live in the same place for a long time. And he was like, well, it has to be the oldest one. Let's just dynamite everything until we get down to the important one. Who cares about the other ones? And he blew up the whole thing. Yeah. So, like I said, um, coming from a group of people who like to mix, you know, myth and history, I get it. <laughs> I get you. I get you. But I don't know. It's still not my bag. I'm glad you like it. I did, yeah. But to be fair, mostly the reason why I felt like this was a good place to start is because we're talking about um, animation that's not mainstream, mm. and I find this to be a good introduction to to this uh, to this part of cinema because mm. it tells a very concise story. Um, it's very well regarded as a film. 
And for good reason. It's and a great for good film. reason, it's gorgeous. It's real good looking. Um, and um, yeah, it's a it's a style that I thought you might have not seen before. Um, from a part of this of the cinematic world that you might not have, you know, had a, a good grasp of before. So here feels you go. Feels nice to look at. Yeah. It feels good to look at this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's still very much a kid's movie. I am not the demographic for this. So I do appreciate that there's like little kid conventions in here sometimes. And sometimes stuff is a little over cutesy, but it's not for me strictly. Would I enjoy watching this with an eight-year-old? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, it is that type of film. Like like My Neighbor Totoro, for example. Uh, you see, I'm, I've done neighbor Totoro, My Neighbor Totoro on the show. And I'm on record as saying, I love this movie. Like, I don't care kid's movie. This is great. Yeah. Cat bus, cat bus. I love the cat bus as well. But this is how I feel about this film as well. Like, it's a I kid's movie, but I like it very much. I, I had stronger emotions watching My Neighbor Totoro oh, okay. than I did watching this. I felt like a, this was a pleasant watch. Okay, fair. I didn't feel big stakes. I didn't feel particularly attached to the characters, though I did like them. And I liked the sort of quite interesting plot. It felt like a Western kids movie, whereas Totoro seems like uh, God, it's a masterpiece and I understand not everything can be that. Yeah. But that's, uh, if we're making that comparison, I think Miyazaki is still my favorite. Oh, for sure. I think I told this. But this is this like, this, this was their first animated feature though? <laughs> it was the first animated okay, feature. Okay, because we can't compare that to Totoro though. No. Because that was like, I was gonna Miyazaki say, had been making movies by for 20 years I was, that point or I something. Was, I was going to say that the, the, there is a... A huge uh, development in their later films. Even artistically speaking, like Song of the Sea is gorgeous. I like the name Song of the Sea, so I might have to watch that. You might have to watch it. It's so beautiful. I mean, to this day, I don't remember the story very much, I will admit. But I I remember the visuals. They were so striking, just absolutely gorgeous. So there is definitely, you know, room for development here. And this was made in 2009, so they've... Well, over 10 years between 1999 and 2009. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they have they have had a lot of time to evolve even more. And um, yeah, the, the, recent, the more recent one, the Wolf Walkers, is also gorgeous and a very good film. So, so it seems like a good studio to follow their work and uh, add a few movies to the list. Uh, but for now, unless you have final notes or thoughts about the film... Um, no, no. I think, uh, like I said, I feel like it was in terms of um, of style. It is singular. Mm. Um, it, you won't find it anywhere else. And once you start seeing their films, you will be able to rec- to recognize it. You you will see a, a trailer and you think, oh, actually, that's the Irish, that's that Irish studio, isn't it? Mm. Um, it's very distinct. And um, yeah, I hope. We'll manage to get more of this in Europe. Um, there is a lot of talent and there's a lot of people working in indie productions in this particular studio as well. Started out as an indie studio making <laughs> commercials and ads and in their free time they were trying to get a budget for this. Um, so, yeah. Is this studio you? I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> they are, this is such a minority in terms of how many animators are out there mm. and how many have actually managed to do this? Uh, the answer is not many. <laughs> um, We're looking at all both of them. Yeah. Actually, yes. Yeah, they, they were two. The, this was co-directed by two people, actually. Speaking of that which. That on its own is quite amazing. Yeah. Um, 
very, very good artists and, and yeah, just excellent people. So over a 10-year period, I imagine that they got better as artists over 10 years of practice. Can you tell as, a, as an animator, like, which bits look like they were done mm. later by a more skilled hand, maybe? No, because I think um, originally how these projects work is you spend some time working on the script and then you spend some time making some concept art trying to find what the style will look like. You might start storyboarding, but by the point you get to the to the animating bit, you have the budget to finish it. I see. Uh, so the actual <laughs> animation part is yeah, not 10 years. Yeah, um, unless you are Richard Williams and are making The Thief and the Cobbler, which um, un- unfortunately remains unfinished, and um, unfortunately Richard Williams uh, is, has now passed. Um, so yeah, the, the, the idea is never start animating unless you can actually finish because then you will never finish exactly for the reason you just said, mm. uh, because we all as artists grow and our ideas about what the film wants to be changes. So you'd better have your budget and your story straight when you start animating. Otherwise you will never finish. I heard a great Dan Harmon line in an interview about this and he said, the reason that you get writer's block is because um, you're trying to make something good. Don't try to make something good. Make something that sucks. Your definition of what is good changes as what as you improve, and it's always something that you're not capable of. Yeah, and what what happens with European productions is because we don't have we don't have Disney, we don't have Pixar. We have virus organizations that um, give funds to uh, to artists and creatives and producers all over Europe, um, and they also provide guidance. Hmm. So you know they received I don't know four or five six million euros from virus organizations in Europe, and they set up various um, studios in all these countries because in order to get the budgets, you need to have some of the production in the country. So even though the production company was based in uh, Ireland, in uh, yeah, so I went to French credits, so I imagine they were doing some. Yeah, of the so there. the French, if you don't know this, uh, France, uh, for every ticket that you buy to go to the movies, some of that money goes to uh, the French uh, Institute for Cinema, mm-hmm. and it then goes back to creatives in forms of funds to make more films. I did not know that, and that's amazing. It is amazing. The we French do that here. The French know how to do it. Um, so yes, France gives uh, gives a lot of funds for indie films, and so does Germany and a whole bunch of other European countries. Um, and what they also do is because there is um, there is a community of of creatives and of of uh, people of the arts who offer support and guidance, and they will go to the company and they will say, you know, you have a very good story here, but. Mm. And then you get some help to 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 get this sorted because it's really hard to make a feature film. I cannot stress it enough. Oh, how, I can't imagine even an animation. I, I cannot stress it enough how difficult it is to make a feature-length animated film, especially for the first time. Um, and you need all the guidance you can get. So yeah, they they help people out. They have a very very good system. It's too bad they don't have the money to do more of it. Still, that's amazing. I love that they're doing some of it rather than nothing. Yeah, for sure. Because they could be doing nothing. For sure, for sure, for sure. We have, um, there is a lot of talent and there is a lot of people willing to put in the hours and to try to get there, Um, even though that number is dwindling. The number isn't dwindling, to be honest, just because it, it, it just becomes apparent how difficult it is. 
And the ones who are successful end up moving to New York and LA. Yeah. And um, yeah, you get sucked into bigger studios and basically a lot of people get stuck um, in uh, being uh, employees and not mm. getting their ideas through because they can never get their hands on directorial, um, you know, jobs and that kind of stuff. Well, on that note, I think uh, we that's not a positive note, no, let's but animation go. is great and we love it and we love <laughs> animators and I am consistently shocked and amazed that any movie has ever been good. And uh, look up Cartoon Saloon, guys. They're great and they're based in Kilkenny, I think, in Kilkenny. Ireland. Yeah, Kilkenny, okay. yeah. Uh, well, that's been us from uh, the show previously known as One for Paul and now known as You Haven't Seen What? We're going to be rebranding just a little bit. You might have noticed that the uh, show title is a bit different. That's it's fine. Change is good, probably. <laughs> Unless it's not, in which case, I, eh, we'll figure it out. If you would like to recommend movies for future episodes, please feel free to do that at my Twitter, at one, at one for Paul still. We haven't changed that one yet. We haven't changed that one yet. We might change it later. It's going to be a whole mess. I've never rebranded before, guys. Bear with me. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Joanna, thank you for being here. No worries. Happy to be here. Also, you do realize you just were like, oh, how do you rebrand? And you said that to an advertiser. <laughs> yeah, I write. If only I'd asked the advertiser first. <laughs> I feel like the dumb now. Oh, my God. I forgot to ask you. Have I been switched back to friend from Nemesis or am I still Nemesis? You're on the, you're on the scale. It's fine. Oh, shoot. Okay, I'll find something else then. Uh, I'll get back to your good graces. Although, you know, with Lady Hawk, it might be hard. Uh, it will I time. forgive you for Lady Hawk. That was a good episode. Okay. We're friends. Okay, fist, sure. Fist bump. We're fist bumping. For, there you go. We blew it up even. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. <laughs>